Welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Back in the day, the men's grooming category used to be synonymous with shaving products, but not anymore. The rising acceptance of facial hair has led to a boom in beard care products. Take Scotch Porter, for example. Not only is it the number one beard care brand at Target, but its beard conditioning balm is the number two best-selling product in the entire men's care category at the retailer. On this week's episode, we talked to Scotch Porter founder Calvin Qualis. The brand emerged from his popular barbershop, which he founded as a hub for both hair care and events, ranging from performances to political debates. Scotch Porter's $11 million Series B round was led by Pendulum, a firm founded by the Obama's financial advisor. It's since been expanding into body care, skin care, and fragrance. Here's the interview. Calvin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So let's start by going way back, long before the days of Scotch Porter. You've talked before about how your inspiration for the brand stems all the way back to when you were a kid. Did you want to start by telling that story? Sure, of course. Um, So as a kid, growing up in my mom's beauty parlor and barbershop, my brother and I spent a ridiculous amount of time there because mom wasn't going to leave two boys home alone by themselves very close in age. That would have been a bad idea. Um, So we spent a lot of time in the barbershop. As a kid, we didn't quite like it, right? Sweeping up here, running errands is sort of the day-to-day of what we had to do. Um, But I think what was most memorable or really stuck with me was watching folks come into the barbershop one way and visibly walk out another way. And that just really stuck with me throughout childhood, adulthood. Um, And it was really around this ability for my mom and the other barbers and stylists to help people feel better about themselves is what I noticed. And it's kind of stuck with me um, back in those days in the barbershop. Yeah. Tell us about your career path after that and what led you to eventually getting back into that world. Yeah. So I... um, you know, I was told by everyone, my mom and family that, right, that you should go off to college. After college, you should go get a good job so that you can buy stuff like you could have a nice house, you could have a nice car, you know, you can raise your family and be comfortable. And I kind of subscribe to that notion of, you know, going to school and getting a good job. And I did that for, you know, I'd say about five to seven years of my adult life. And I was absolutely miserable, right? Going into work, I worked in finance at a market research firm, sort of doing number crunching, not doing anything impactful. I was very afraid of, you know, being stuck in a career and, you know, doing something that I hated and wasn't inspiring every day. And I really dreaded being the 40-something year old coming to work, sitting behind an office desk, doing something that left me a bit depleted. And I felt depleted every day going into work. Um, And I made it my business or mission to figure out what it is that I was supposed to do. I didn't know what I was supposed to do at the moment. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I've always had tons of ideas, uh, tons of things that I was thinking of doing, but never acting on it. And as I was approaching 30, I knew that where I was wasn't where I was supposed to be, but didn't know where I was supposed to be. And so I made a commitment to myself that I'd figure it out. And I'd figure it out by just trying things. Um, But fate sort of kind of took the reins. And one evening coming home from work, long, miserable day of work, spotted this 
beautiful brownstone building, had an epiphany from my time growing up in my mom's beauty parlor and barbershop. I was feeling crappy that day. And, you know, just remembering how they had this ability to help people feel feel better about themselves and how I was having a crappy day and wasn't feeling good about myself. I kind of dreamed up like this idea of like starting a barbershop, but a barbershop that was also a cultural hub and mixed, um, mixed haircuts and uh, grooming and feeling good with uh, some some other things, right? Conversations about mental health and wellness. And so we had this stage and we had a, uh, art exhibitions and we did we had some interesting dialogue in this barbershop, but I started this shop and almost immediately spotted an issue. Many of the customers had dry, frizzy, damaged hair and beards, bored with the daytime desk job. So I went home, played, uh, played and became sort of a kitchen chemist, learned everything I could about natural ingredients and uh, went to work creating some of our very first formulas in the barbershop. So what was your role at the barbershop? Were you doing people's hair or was it more on the ownership event side? Yeah, so I still had the full-time desk job because I had a mortgage and I had a card note and I had grown-up responsibilities. Um, so I literally spent, um, you know, eight, nine hours out of, out of a day at the market research firm. And then I'd come evenings and I'd be in the barbershop. I'm not a barber, but I spent a tremendous amount of time there, you know, talking with customers, getting to understand sort of the issues that they had. And then I'd go back home later that evening, work on products over the evening and on the weekends um, is where I'd spend a lot of my time in the barbershop, just really getting to really understand the issues that the customers were having, you know, in regards to like hair care and grooming. And what kind of events would you hold? Do you have any highlights? Yeah, so we had, you know, we had mayoral debates uh, where we bring in the mayors uh, to have a conversation. Um, we we showed uh we showed screenings of like uh, physical health, mental health screenings. We had uh, interesting debates around mental health. Um, and we did this all during the same time that we were cutting here. And so even if someone didn't come in, didn't know that they were have that we were having an event, somehow they got involved. And those discussions specifically around like mental health and wellness were very, very uh, impactful in that, you know, you'd see a customer every week and you wouldn't quite understand what they were going through, right? Um, but then you'd learn a lot more about sort of the the issues that they were facing and having an expert there on the stage to kind of talk to someone that has never sat in front of a, a physical therapist was, it felt very, very good to see that happen. So I think the highlight is around some of those discussions around mental health and, and wellness um, really resonated the most with me. And what was the timeline for this? What year was this? Um, so this was, I want to say 2014, 15. And tell me about the launch story of the brand. So you were mixing things in your kitchen. You were trying them out with clients. When did you realize this could be a full brand? You know, bringing the products back to the barbershop and getting feedback from the customers, uh, you know, it quickly, it quickly we quickly understood that we had something here. And what we started to do is we started to sell products in the barbershop and then word spread. And so we had people coming in from New York and Connecticut to our little shop in New Jersey to purchase products. And it was at that time that I decided to launch a direct-to-consumer brand to make it a bit more convenient for those folks to get the product. Um, and that's when it really took off. Um, it was the early days of 
the earlier days of D2C, where you could spend a dollar and see $5 in return. And at that point, we, we put some investment behind it and really started to see the brand grow um, before then launching in retail um, at Target and Walmart in 2020 and then really seeing the brand um, you know, grow, uh, grow in terms of distribution. Um, but I think what gets us most excited um, about our growth and reach is around helping men to feel their best, live their best, most fulfilled lives. It's why I built the brand, why we, why we do what we do every day. What were your first products? So our first products were uh, beard care products and hair care products. Well, one, one hair care skew. So we had two beard care skews, a beard balm and a beard conditioner, and then we had a hair balm. Yeah, tell me about the beard care because you don't have any shaving stuff, right? You're, you're totally beard care. We are beard care, hair care, and we've just recently launched uh, body care uh, with two body care uh, wash skews and then soon to be lotion uh, skews soon. Uh, but yeah, we started out with predominantly beard care and one hair care skew. Uh, beard care has just been pretty fantastic. I mean, it continues to be a uh, category that continues to grow despite folks uh, believing that it might have been a trend or, you know, the pandemic, uh, folks are growing out their beard because of the pandemic. We are finding that it still continues to be a category that grows well and retailers are uh, continue to be behind it and investing in it. Um, and in fact, our brand is uh, number one in beard at Target and we continue to grow and do well there. So beard is, beard is, a, is a hot category that continues to grow. Yeah, what motivated you to focus on beards specifically compared to all of these men's grooming brands that are introducing shaving stuff? Yeah, I think it was, you know, being in the barbershop, right? And so it was at a time where men were embracing their beard a bit more. And it's just insight, right? So it's being in the barbershop, seeing more men come in with beards and not deciding to cut the beards, right? Actually to have the barber shape it up, right? And so, you know, I saw that, but I also saw at that time that the men coming in, they weren't necessarily doing anything outside of just keeping the beard shaped, right? It's like, well, what are you doing to keep it moisturized and to keep it not looking frizzy and to keep it looking nice outside of just a typical trim? Um, and what I realized at that time that there weren't, a tremendous amount of products on the market that were really focused on showing men how to keep and maintain their beards. What mostly existed was how to take it off. <laughs> and so just being in the barbershop and noticing that I got very interested in, in, in helping men um, to figure out how to keep and maintain the beard without having to shut, cut it off. Yeah, and you have a whole collection of beard products now. Did you want to talk about your product development process and how you listen to concerns and what the main hair care concerns are right now in terms of beard care? Yeah, our product development process really involves, uh, we as a, as a D2C first business, um, we have three quarters of a million men on our email list. We have uh, now it's about a thousand men that are part of this super user group that we talk to very regularly. And so we will not only have surveys, but we bought individuals into the office to talk about you know, what they need, what they're looking for, um, what they're interested in. Um, we've also presented some ideas on future product development that we could get immediate feedback um, you know, from the consumer on. 
Um, we would then, based on that, we would then develop sort of a prototype. You know, we'd start playing with ingredients and thinking about what we're going to create. And then we'd go back to some of those men and say, what are your thoughts on this? Use this. Let us know what your thoughts are. Um, from there, we would then, you know, over some time, tweak the formulas, modify some things, and then continue down that road of getting feedback until we feel really, really good um, about a particular product or formula. And you definitely have your pulse on all the trends in hair care. Tell me about mustaches, because I remember the last time we talked, I was working on a story about the mustache trend and mustaches popping up on all the runways. What are you seeing with that? Is that still a trend? I believe that some men will always keep a mustache. I have a mustache, but I don't have like the handlebar mustache. I will say that I have not seen um, over the last year, I haven't seen many handlebar mustaches. Um, I have clearly seen almost a lot of men with mustaches, but not to the degree um, that it will require paste or a hold uh, to keep the, you know, to keep the handlebars out of the mouth. So um, I am not seeing uh, a ton of men with handlebar mustaches, but I am continuing to see men uh, embrace and grow their beard and also here and investment in other categories. So beards have the staying power. Beards have the staying power. Here continues to have staying power. And men are also investing in important things uh, that might have once been considered commodity, like body care. Um, so we're seeing our body care do very well. And we're excited about launching two additional SKUs in uh, body lotion. And skincare is also um, seeing an uptick from men investing. Yeah, tell us about your expansion into other product categories. You have fragrance now. Where are you looking for the next areas of growth? Yeah, I think what continues to be very interesting is uh, body care uh, and skin care. Um, we are just continuing to see men continuing to invest uh, and think about skin care. Now, that could be because we are on much more Zooms. Um, or, you know, with the proliferation of social media and all these channels, like we're just, we're in front of the camera more. So we are seeing men um, think about investing a bit more in this skincare routine um, and then body care. So like trading up from like the basics, right? The basic body washes and, and whatnot. Folks are definitely investing more into body care. Men are investing more in those areas. So I'm excited about those areas. Yeah, it's such a big growth area where companies are looking to find ways to have men step it up with their routines, right? With skincare and all of these areas that women are already investing so much in. So what's your process for marketing for that? How do you connect with your customer? Yeah, I think I think in the past we have very much focused on um, UGC user reviews and product. Um, we have, you know, tens of thousands of five-star reviews. And we focus very heavily on reviews um, of a product. But I think in terms of thinking about the future, I think that that continues to be important. We'll still continue to stand on the pillars of having really great product, continuing to, to serve men and help men to feel their best. But I think what we are now focused on in 2024 and beyond is repositioning how we cut through and communicate and connect with the consumer and trying to do so on a much more emotional level, but that also um, also feels a little bit real. So I think 
in the future, which you can see from the brand, uh, is a bit more um, reverence, <laughs> irreverence, um, a bit more comic relief, a, a little bit more of an edgier brand um, that still stands on the pillars of delivering really great products and advice on helping men to navigate, um, but just being being a little bit more of like the big brother, the big cool brother. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to talk about branding because in the men's care space, there's been such an evolution over the decades. It used to be very manly man type branding. How did you approach your branding? And can you tell more about how you're working with it going forward? Yeah, I think in the past, there was this notion that men are a monolith and it's all about, you know, going into the woods, chopping down trees and not as sophisticated in terms of like fragrance, uh, fragrance profile. And we're all only interested in like pine. Um, and I just know that that isn't true. <laughs> I know that that has never been true. Um, and so just based with that insight, right. Just understanding that as a man myself and surrounded by uncles and friends uh, who are not just only interested in pine sense and they aren't in the woods chopping down trees. <laughs> Um, I've always known that. And so um, I just think, I think that it was part of sort of some marketing ploy. It's interesting. It's funny. um, And folks have leveraged it for quite some time. But I think uh, the real, I think it's a disservice because it creates this notion that men are a monolith and uh, men aren't as in touch with their emotional side, which, you know, which I know that to not be a fact. So I think when we think about marketing, we think about the fact that men um, are caring, men are compassionate, men do care about their family and their community. And so we focused on pulling out and talking to those things um, that we feel um, that we feel really represent uh, the men that we know, right? And uh, it just so happens that there are millions of men who have resonated with that um, and are tired of this notion that they are... Uh, sort of a monolith and uh, aren't compassionate uh, human beings (laughs) who care. And what are the top platforms you're focusing on? How big is social marketing as part of your overall marketing strategy? And where are you looking to reach customers? Yeah, so we are, um, like many brands and many folks, like venturing and trying TikTok. Um, It's a very interesting platform. It's a fun platform. And so we're working with, you know, a ton of influences on platforms like TikTok and continue to um, work on some of the platforms that folks have been, um, you know, Instagram. I believe we're going to try threads soon. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do on threads. Um, But yeah, some of the basics, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok is definitely a channel that we're investing more heavily into and continuing to ante up with UGC. Um, you know, real users using the product and giving feedback. Yeah. Tell me about your influencer marketing strategy. What types of influencers do you look to to reach male customers? Is it hair care or is it influencers in other areas? Yeah, it's definitely around hair care, beard care, and body care. Um, and in terms of how we think about the influencers and, and the outreach and who we work with, 
you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about what we hope to accomplish, right, around our mission that we have in serving men, which is around self-care, self-love, self-improvement. And so we are we're always scouting for influencers and uh, folks that talk a lot about um, those pillars and that that there's some alignment with our brand. Um, so, yeah, UGC, hair care, beard care, body care and just an alignment on around values. And what has wholesale expansion meant for the brand in the past few years? You talked about the D2C era and kind of that ending with the iOS changes and cost of customer acquisition going up. So tell us about your retail expansion and what is your D2C versus retail breakdown these days? Yes. Yeah, so I will say that D2C still plays a very important role in the business. It's the D2C first uh, business. It's it's like our direct connection to consumers. Um, we can reach out very quickly, send an email, send a survey, get responses, hop on the phone. So it's critical in terms of how we continue to keep a pulse on what's happening and what the consumer is looking for. But in terms of where growth is really happening, uh, quickly, it is absolutely at retail. Um, when I think about the split of the business right now, I will say that about 65% of our business um, in terms of velocity and productivity is at retail. Um, and then Amazon represents a nice portion of that. And then D2C. So um, it, if I think about the channels that are sort of more important to us in terms of uh, sales, it would be retail, likely Amazon, and then D2C. Yeah. And then what about physical versus e-commerce? What are you seeing these days? I think that the outside has absolutely opened back up and um, it's always a great time and great moment to connect with consumers directly. Um, There's just something that you get from being face to face with a consumer who A, either knows your brand and is a raving fan and just wants to talk about how much they love your brand, which we all love that, right? Um, Or even meeting a consumer who hasn't interacted with the brand and sharing a lot more about the brand and what it is that you do. Um, You know, I think events will continue to be important. Um, And I think that sort of going back to the days where um, it was about like sampling and, and, and speaking directly con- to consumers and being at some of these events and showing up in, in sort of traditional ways. I think, I think that is something that we will focus on a lot more. And I think it's also something that we'll start to see other brands focus a lot more on. Do you still host barbershop events? Is the barbershop still going? Yeah, so we, we do. So we have a group of barbers that we work with very regularly. And so we will sponsor, you know, free cut days and we'll get product in consumers' hands. So yes, that absolutely still happens. I do not have the barbershop anymore, but we absolutely still um, connect with barbershops. And let's talk about scaling. You expanded to retail in 2022. You secured a Series B funding round from Pendulum Holdings for $11 million. Did you want to talk about the process of fundraising and what drew you to work with them? Yeah, so fundraising, um, you know, as the business continued to scale and grow in retail and some of the commitments that are required uh, at retail in terms of investment and inventory and just making sure Um, that you are supporting your launches and the brand at retail, it required investment. And so we needed to go out and raise money. 
Um, the fundraising process is a process. It is definitely work. <laughs> it isn't necessarily like my most uh, my most fun time and experience <laughs> in being a founder. Um, but you know, we found incredible partners in in Pendulum, and they are very supportive, um, and they've been a great partner thus far. So. We, we enjoy our partnership uh, and we enjoy their investment and our ability to continue to scale up the brand with with that investment. Yeah. How did you connect with them? Pendulum's led by former President Obama's financial advisor, Robbie Robinson. Do they work with you closely on advising the brand or tell us about that relationship? I think what's very important as a founder, as a brand that could be thinking about raising future investment is to uh, build contacts, uh, you know, have conversations with groups and individuals before there is a need to raise money. And so the connection with Pendulum came about because there was an individual by the name of Ron Mackey that I had met maybe a year and a half before the Pendulum investment. Um, and he wasn't at Pendulum at that time. Um, he was with another firm. Uh, but when he moved over to Pendulum, um, we had reconnected. We had spoken maybe three times before. I met him in our office. Um, and he had shared with me what Pendulum is doing, their thesis, how they are looking to support brands like Scotch Porter. Um, and that connection came from from Ron Mackey. So I think I think what I find myself doing very regularly is even when we're not in the process of raising a round of fundraising, I am always willing to take a call with a potential investor um, or a banker. I think it's just important to keep those relationships and that line of communication open. And tell us about your target age demographics for the brand. You're in skincare. Who's buying skincare these days? Who are you focusing on? Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting because we have a very diverse group of customers. And um, we are finding that that age range is somewhere along the lines of like 23 to 54. It's it's quite, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, skincare, definitely we have found that that resonates with its, a slightly older um, uh, demographic. It's, you know, the folks that are 32 to 54. But over the, over the last six to 12 months, we are seeing um, that there is a pickup from consumers that are slightly younger in skincare. And I think it's about understanding that what we do now is going to have an impact on what we look like when we're 45 or 54, right? So we are seeing folks invest a little bit earlier in skincare, which is awesome. Yeah, we've heard this from so many brands. It sounds like Gen Z, because of TikTok, is so much more aware of skincare. Are you seeing that with men specifically? I am. And it's it's pretty amazing because, you know, the amount of folks that we see that are like using things that wouldn't might be might be considered basic uh, to more advanced skincare users, but like eye cream. Right. Um I think like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that you wouldn't have seen as many men using eye cream. Now it is like, it's almost like a basic. It's almost like as basic as a wash or scrub or moisturizer. So we are seeing men invest more in their routine around skincare and thinking about and adding additional items like eye cream. And I think it all goes back to just this basic understanding that what we do now um, in our earlier years will have an impact on what our skin looks like um, when we get a little older. 
Yeah. How elaborate is the routine in your product lineup? Um, so we, right now, we are focused on basics. So we have, uh, you know, wash and a moisturizer and a really good exfoliant. Um, but we are working on right now some development around things like eye cream and SPF um, that is applicable for all skin tones um, that we're super excited about. And some other things, um, some other exfoliation, um, you know, products that we're working on, including vitamin C's and whatnot. Yeah, we've heard so much about SPF as a skincare product these days. Everyone's incorporating incorporating it into their skincare routine. Are you seeing that with men as well? Is that getting brought into the men's skincare routine? Yeah, I think that there's some work to do there on the men's side in terms of leveraging and using an SPF more. And I think it's mostly around educating, continuing to educate men on the importance of it. I think that there is some work to do, but I I understand the importance of SPF and how protection of the skin, right? If we're using washes and eye creams and we're thinking about protecting our eye area, we also have to understand the importance of sun damage. And I think we will have to continue to educate men on the importance of not just investing in the basics, but after you use a wash and you use a moisturizer and you're exfoliating, you have to protect your skin so that it uh, so that it ages well. <laughs> yeah, what's the product development process like for that? Are you looking at more mineral or chemical sunscreens? Yeah, I think in in the earlier days, we were like, oh, we're going mineral, right? Um, but as we've kind of played with products in, in the development cycle, we, we do realize that there are, we will likely go the chemical route, but we are going to be very selective on the chemicals that we use in our sunscreen um, to make sure that they're safe, um, but also incredibly effective. And I am a user of sunscreen as well. Do you do it daily? I do it daily. Yes, I do. I do uh, an SPF. Um, I use a vitamin C and I use niacinamide and exfoliate. Who are the people that men are looking to on social media? Like, are men going on social media and looking specifically for beard advice or skincare advice from people focused on that? Yeah, I, I think that there's some work to do there. There are definitely skin influencers and beard influencers and all, you know, other sort of influences on TikTok and other platforms. I do think that there's some work to do there. Um, but I, I do think that just by, um, you know, seeing men, what I've noticed is that men will do their routine without necessarily giving like step-by-step instruction. (laughs) So it's like, it's like, I'm using this eye cream. That's it. I am now applying SPF. So I think, I think we have to do a better job on educating folks. Well, this is why I'm using an eye cream because when I when I turn 54 or 65, you know, I'd like to have, you know, I'd like to not have dark circles around my eyes or the benefit of using a an SPF or a vitamin C is so that I don't have these dark marks or blemishes. So it's it's basically right now you'll see guys online and you'll see them just going through the routine and saying what they're using and not really educating folks on why they're using it. So I think that there's some work to do there. Is social media a big part in the path to purchase for men? Or what are you seeing for the steps of how they're getting to that final purchase? Is it dramatically different from the women's skincare market or hair care? 
Yeah, I think I think UGC and literally seeing real customers using your product. Um, I know that it was like something that was big and folks talked about it like a couple of years ago. But what we are finding is that that investment in UGC content and working with folks directly, like it really does resonate with men, seeing other men um, use your products and have stellar reviews and just commenting on how great they love the product. It's it's simple, <laughs> but but we are finding that it really does work and it resonates. And so we are going to definitely double down on UGC um, investment in ads on TikTok and in other places. And tell me about um, the fragrance expansion. You mentioned pine fragrance kind of not being what you're interested in. What is the fragrance that's kind of captivating men these days? Like, how did you approach your fragrance profile? Um, so I absolutely am a fan of fragrance and I have an unhealthy obsession with fragrance and I, I wear, <laughs> um, and so what I love about fragrance is I feel like fragrance has sort of the ability to transport you to like different places or like even just boost your mood. And so I've always found fragrance to be captivating and very interesting. And as we've undergone the product development and research of de- deciding which sort of fragrances to create, I think that we thought about, you know, fragrances that are more unisex and fragrances that aren't incredibly overpowering and fragrances that, um, you know, your partner, whoever it is, might be interested in like wearing or would love to like love smelling your T-shirt or whatnot. So we thought about developing fragrances that aren't, um, I would say, hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine and just like a a middle line, a balance that, you know, men can appreciate, women can appreciate, anyone can appreciate. Um, We focus a lot and we, I love ouds. So we always have, we always have like a um, sort of a musk, woody uh, fragrance. And then we also develop sort of more of like a fresh fragrance. Um, And those are like usually the two fragrance profiles that we work, we work on. Um, and but it's always been built around being a little bit more unisex and not sort of hyper masculine, super strong, overpowering fragrances. Yeah, what is your prediction on where branding for men's care is going over the next decade? Yeah, I think, um, and what we are focused on is thinking about a communication strategy and positioning strategy that is around showing men not as monoliths, um, not being, you know, super preachy all the time, maybe not also being just uh, comedy fest all the time or super silly all the time, but finding a bit of balance, but definitely being a bit more edgier um, and, and, and remarkable. And, and when I say edgier, yes, some comic relief, but, I, but again, not going overboard um, is where I think we'll we'll start where we'll focus as a brand, but but built on really our existing foundation around helping men um, to show up as their best selves and around self care, self love, and self improvement, but offering a bit of edginess and, and irreverence. And then, out of your product lineup overall, what are your best sellers these days? 
Yeah, so definitely our beard uh, conditioning balm, um, which is number two in the men's assortment, um, not just in beard, but the entire men's assortment at Target. Um, our hair balm continues to to do really, really well as a bestseller. And then our body care products are doing incredibly well. So our body washes, which are in two, uh, two scent variations, um, crisp citrus woods and sandalwood and tobacco musk are doing incredibly well. And then we're also excited about our upcoming launch of our two body uh, lotion SKUs, which complement the body washes that we're launching. That's so interesting to hear about the beard balm because we hear so much buzz about beard oils. Is beard balm where it's at with the beard care trends these days? What do you think of that versus a beard oil? Yeah, so I think when you think about when you think about the beard, um, I think all beards. It doesn't matter the the skin type or skin tone. Beards just tend to be much more unruly than the hair on top of one's head. And so there is a a level of uh, product that is needed specifically around moisturization and taming frizz. And it just so happens that a conditioning beard balm is a conditioner that helps the beard to feel nice and soft and smooth, but also help to tame the beard. And that does a far better job than just an oil, which most oils tend to just sit sort of on top of the hair follicle. So this is, you know, this feels a little bit better. And so I think that's why um, that product does so well. Um, and it's it's my preference over an oil any day. So to wrap up, let's learn what is in store. You've hinted a bit at uh, future products, for example, SPF. What are the main categories you're most focused on for developing in the future? And are we going to see more expansion into new categories? Yeah, I am very, very interested in, um, and men are, in, in skincare. Um, so I think in terms of expectation and what we, what we are working on and what, what we think about a lot is how we can um, continue to build really great products and offer something differentiated in skincare um, and the work that we need to do in terms of educating men on the importance of skincare. So we're super excited about that. Um, and then we have some exciting news, you know, coming up in 2024 that you'll see from the brand um, that we're excited about sharing with the world that I cannot share now. <laughs> that was extremely vague. Is there any other hint you can add on that? <laughs> um, no, no, I think I think, listen, I think that it is important as just as humans have the need to get better um, sometimes reinvent themselves. Um, you know, I think that it's important for brands to do that as well. Um, and part of that is like for a brand is being really dialed in to the consumer um, and understanding sort of where the landscape is shifting. Um, and so we are we are thinking about what that looks like for us. How do, how do we reinvent ourselves? Um, you know, is it packaging? Is it communication? Is it, what is that? Is that, is it new product? What, what is that? And so we're, we're excited on continuing to work on that and um, think that we'll have something exciting to share in 2024. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing what's in store. Calvin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. 
please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.